Okay. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Conspiracies, Snacks, and Tinfoil Hats. I am Connor Kenworthy. I'm Avalon Gubernick. And we are the co-conspirators of this podcast. And today we are bringing none other than the crack epidemic conspiracy. So grab your snacks and your tinfoil hats and we'll be with you shortly. How was your week? Um, my week has been yeah. long and boring. I yeah. want. I went on a hike yesterday, which Girl, if you how know hiking anything about me, I hate hiking. Oh, you do? I didn't know that. I hate it. So oh. that was not, Just... and it was the worst hike ever. Literally, I'm sorry. Straight up. There's like ten switchbacks. I'm not here for it. But I've I did it. That like three times. It's the worst. I don't know why you would ever hike that more than once. Everyone that responded to my Instagram story was like, "That hike sucks." Not one person was like, "I love that hike." Yeah, it's not good because literally the view from that hike is the same at the top as it is from the parking lot. Exactly. F that hike. But other than I'm that, sorry. it sucked. So. <laughs> How has your week been in Washington? Um, It's been good. I haven't gotten the coronavirus yet. Um, No, it's good. I start at Target tomorrow, which I'm both excited and not excited about. It's just kind of, you know, like when you start a new place, you're like, is it going to be different? Like, obviously, it's going to be different than my other Target. But But what if you hate your coworkers? I know. What if I hate it? So, I don't know. Good luck to me. I'm already planning on like, how to try to put my parents at less of a risk when I get home every day, so. Literally, you haven't even been gone a week, and I feel like you left, like, two months ago. It's been a long freaking week. <laughs> it's been so long. What are you having for your snack today? I wanted you to go first. Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah. So, we're doing the crack epidemic, so I have two things. <laughs> I have... Chocolate chip cookies, which obviously are my crack. That's dumb. And I also have Coke. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I went a little more hardcore and just bought straight up cocaine. Wow. And I will be snorting it live on this podcast. (laughs) No, I. Yes, I've always wanted this. What is that? Should I just snort it just for fun? Yeah, what is it? So I got, it's a ring. So for my birthday, my uncle just got me a bunch of random crap that he got like at an airport store. And it's um a ring pop, but you dip it in like sour sugar. So I'm oh, like sugar. I dare you. It's powder. I dare you to like snort co- some of it. Oh shit, I dropped it. <laughs> I'll just put it in a line really quick. Hold on. I dare you if you do it. <laughs> <laughs> no it's sour you want uh, me to snort warhead powder i'm gonna try it though right now ready mm-hmm. how is it 
Scale of 1 to 10. Oh, that's sour. <laughs> Do you not like sour? No, I love sour. That's why I'm not making a face. Well, so, how much did you pay for that? I didn't. I got it for my birthday. Were you even listening? Rude. Oh, I forgot. Well, I was I asking forgot. because I, I, said it I looked up. I seconds ago. <laughs> no, I was asking because I looked up the um, how much you can buy crack for. Oh, yeah. I did too. Okay, we can compare. But I was saying cocaine, not crack. I think I typed in cocaine too, so. I'm not ghetto. Oh my gosh, you're a terrible person. <laughs> do, you also, know? do you want to know something crazy? I did not know crack and cocaine were not the same thing. Like, they are, but they're different. Like I, They're literally the same thing, one's no, just no, no, no. higher. Well, yeah, but I just thought crack, like, you could call cocaine crack or cocaine. I didn't know, like, crack was a different kind of cocaine. It's just less pure. No, crack is more pure. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Because cocaine is used by the elites, and crack is used by, like... Yeah, I know, it might be but now. it's more pure. I'm telling you right now. Anyway, should we get started? Yeah, let's go. Crack. Well, my first bullet is, what is cocaine? For those of you who may not be involved in drugs, like me, or... I'm not involved with drugs. I'm going to get arrested Um, (laughs) or kicked out of school. (laughs) If you don't know what cocaine is, which I don't know why you wouldn't, a cocaine is an illegal drug that's a stimulant that comes from the cacao plant that originates in South America. So it's like a popular party drug because it just makes you have fun and gives you a lot of energy. And it has like a more benign reputation than other street drugs like heroin. So cocaine was very expensive in the time it started coming becoming popular, which was like the 70s. So it was reserved for wealthy business people and like celebrities. Um, so kind of the DEA kind of just ignored the existence of cocaine for years because they're just like, whatever, only the rich people use it. Until the 1980s. In the 1980s, SWAT teams would like go raid houses to find cocaine, which were broadcasted on the news. There was lots of violence, homelessness, overdoses in like major cities. So like LA and Miami, there was one main Colombian cartel called the Metain that um, built a cocaine empire in the US. So they would smuggle like tons and tons of cocaine every year. And they were based out of Miami. There was also a lot of violence because drug lords would fight over territories, clients, etc. In the 80s, Miami, which originally, I guess, was like a quiet place to live, which thinking about it now, that's crazy. Um, They averaged 500 homicides a year. And once the DEA finally was like, okay, this is a problem, we need to step in, like, it was too late. It was kind of just out of control at that point. And once they did start stepping in, though, cartel members started using the U.S.-Mexico border to smuggle instead of just, like, directly importing it. They would import it to Mexico, and then they would smuggle it across the border. In the early 80s, there was so much cocaine, because, like, no one was doing anything about it, that the price began to plummet. So drug dealers had to shift their business model a little so that they could keep making a profit, which is where crack cocaine was born. Yeah, okay, crack cocaine. So, crack cocaine is made, for all you druggies out there, I'm going to teach you, like you don't already know. 
um, crack cocaine is made by melting down cocaine and mixing it with water and baking soda, which sounds disgusting. So let's talk about that. What would be the more pure form, Avalon? Literally, the podcast I listened to said that. Don't come no, for me. No, because crack, crack, you're listen. melting down the powder and adding baking soda and baking soda and water. Whatever. We can fight on whether it's, I don't even care if it's pure or not, but it's more concentrated. And when you melt it down, it turns into a solid and it's like crystal looking. Um, and it's called crack. And it's, and it's called crack because of the crackling sound it makes when you smoke it. No, you don't even know. It's called crack because people put it in their butt cracks to smuggle it into jail. <laughs> no. Connor, yes, literally, it is. Look. Have you even been name, to a prison? I am literally... I'm literally reading this <laughs> no, off of Connor, AmericanAddictionCenters.org. Yeah, well, this they're wrong. This is the name of crack from the crackling sound that is produced when the drug is heated and then smoked. And then coke. So crack is usually smoked and cocaine is usually snorted. Yeah, can you let me talk about my history? I can if you tell it right. I literally, my next bullet, can be smoked instead of snorted, a.k.a. get high faster and stronger. But it doesn't last as long. But it, can you not get ahead? <laughs> I'm freaking gonna kill you. Tell so, your history right, and I won't. I'm. I have it all written down. You just freaking interrupt me. Okay, can be smoked instead of snorted, aka get high faster and stronger. Also, is better because a tiny amount of powder can make more doses of crack, aka more money, because you could sell it to more people at lower prices. So, like this much powder can make lots of crack for all the peoples. And you could reach like different populations because since it's cheaper, more people can afford it. So, 1980s single dose of crack went for two fifty, which is like seven dollars twenty nineteen money, which wow. is cheap. Seven dollars, yeah. So anyone could get it. So more people were buying it. Also, I said, crack cocaine is more addictive than powder because the high is intense but short. So crack mm -hmm. cocaine's high only lasts 30 minutes while powder is an hour. So customers just keep coming back for more and more frequently because it's cheap and they just need more. So history of crack cocaine. 1979 the was the first time crack cocaine was sold pre-made. Um, the champion of this endeavor was Freeway Rick Ross, which I want to be his friend. Um, he began selling pre-made crack rocks, which he called Ready Rock, and he was very successful. Like, in just a couple years, he was making $3 million per day. That's $7 million yes. today's money. Dude, Why don't we sell I'm drugs? in the bad, wrong business. I should just sell crack. So, um, since he was being so, he was having so much success, other drug dealers started doing the same thing. And by 1985, crack was available in, like, every major city of America. Um, and this affected urban black communities the hardest. 1986, cocaine-related emergency room visits increased by 110%. Uh, homicide rates for young black males doubled. And it kind of, like, all this violence and cases of overdose kind of caused the war on drugs to become more serious so war on drugs was started by ronald reagan fun fact ronald reagan was my favorite president until i read this 
his research. Uh, we'll just wait. We'll get into Ronald Reagan. I was Reagan. Ronald Reagan. We did a ma- wax museum in my elementary school, and we had to be a famous person and dress up as them and like do a speech. And I chose Ronald Reagan. I was Ronald Reagan. And then you find out he's a racist asshole. Ooh, well, I didn't find that out, but I found out a bunch of other things. So he started oh, the fun. war on drugs, which basically meant they would send um, militarized police vehicles to inner cities to weed out drug dealers. Um, they also made a new sentencing law called the Three Strikes Law. Basically means you get life in prison if you have three felonies. So this caused a rise in incarceration rates mainly for black males. So in 1986, the U.S. Congress passed laws that created a 100 to 1 sentencing disparity for the possession or trafficking of crack, um, which basically means five. if you got sell, caught like in possession of or selling five grams of crack, you could go to prison for five years. But if you got caught having 500 grams of cocaine, you got the same sentence. So this obviously targets minorities and is discriminatory against minorities, mostly African-Americans, because they were more likely to buy crack than powder because it was more affordable. So that's racist. So this didn't only increase incarceration rates, but also reports of corruption, racial profiling, and, like, cases of falsified evidence. And it basically just pitted law enforcement against at-risk communities. So that was not a good thing. Now we're going to get into... Ugh, I don't even know how to, like, set this up. So we're going to talk about the Iran-Contra affair, which is a long history. And I have a lot of information, but... The moral of the story, I'm just going to say it to begin with, is that the Iran-Contra affair is basically how the U.S. used drug trafficking to fund other illegal endeavors. That's like a summary, but now we'll go into details. Yay, I love it. Do you have something to say? No. Okay. So, Iran-Contra affair... So I didn't know anything about this, really. Like, I heard the name and I know the basis yeah, of I didn't it. Know but I didn't anything know anything about it. Anything. And I'm so glad I do now because I feel more educated. Like, I feel like I learned more doing this research than all my weeks of homework this week. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about how stupid it is, I think, sometimes? That I'm like, literally, I've taken so many effing classes on, like, the Revolutionary War I'm like, yeah, that's so good for us to know our history. But I'm like, I don't remember. I feel like my AP U.S. history and then American heritage at school and all this stuff and stuff focuses so much on like the first like hundred years of our country. And it's like because of like like the Iran-Contra affair. Like I remember literally glazing over this in like AP U.S. history and stuff. And I'm like, like, and I get that we we don't talk about anything. It's like. Yeah, I just remember because it's usually at the end of what everything everyone's burnt out. I'm like, but this is so much more fascinating to me because it's so like this was only 40 years ago. It's recent. So I'm like, yeah, I get that it's really cool that we freaking started democracy or whatever the hell, but then wrote the Constitution. But I'm like, but this is like interesting and I want to know how shady our government is. (laughs) 
Yeah, because let me tell you, they're pretty shady. So, Iran-Contra Fair. Let's get into this shiz. So, 1979, there was a dictator in Nicaragua named Anastasio Somasa de Baile. I speak also, Spanish. Also, I realized... <laughs> I was just going to say, I realized how many, like, uh, uh, Latin names are in this, like, story. And I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce any of them. So I'm so sorry in advance. I know. I was, like, stoked because I can't pronounce them. So, yeah, that was the dictator, Anastasio. And he was overthrown by a socialist group called the Sandinista National Liberation Front. So everyone was like, Somoza was, like, really bad and did dicked-up stuff. But, like, Sandinista was very bad. Um, They established a socialist state, abolished elections, and arrested everyone that opposed the new government. I um, put in a meme here that made me think of this. I will show you, but I will say out loud. It's the Parks and Rec episode where the guy from Venezuela comes, and he's just, like, the meme says... You undercook fish, believe it or not, jail. You overcook chicken, also jail. And he just keeps on listing a bunch of stuff that will put you in jail, and it's the funniest thing. And that's what it made me think of. I forgot about that. I forgot about that whole episode. That episode's so good. It is very good. So, yeah, they were bad. 1980, Sandinistas formed an alliance with Guess Who's Back? The mother effing Soviets. Yes. (laughs) They just slip into every every conspiracy. (laughs) I'm so sick of them and the freaking Cold War. hate them. So they formed alliance with them and Cuba, who was communist. I don't know if they're still communist, but at the time they were. Guess who hates communism? Reagan. (laughs) America. Also America. So... This alarmed Reagan because he his main goal was to weaken Soviet Union's power and stop the spread of communism. So have we talked about I know this is off topic, but have we talked about how during World War Two, I'm pretty sure it was World War Two, how the Americans dropped um, condoms that like medium size or yeah, medium <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, it was extra large condoms that were labeled medium onto the Soviet armies <laughs> to put, mess with their minds and make them think <laughs> that they were inferior to the to the U.S. I love that. I think that's the U.S. freaking so funny. stupid. We have a good sense of humor. 1981. Bill Buccaneer Casey, who is... Clinton. S- no, oh. I said Casey, not Clinton. Sorry. He's not in this one. So he Dang it. Is I want to talk the about the Clintons. CIA director of the time. So Reagan asked him for help with this Sandinista problem. So Bill Casey's solution was to use CIA resources to mount a right-wing Nicaraguan rebellion. So September 1981, CIA... Arrange a meeting between two anti-Sandinista factions. They agreed to work together, and they become a group called the Contras, which means against in Spanish. So the Contras, they were based in Honduras. Can I request something really fast? Yeah. That you stop saying everything so good so it doesn't make me sound so bad. I can't. Thank you. No. So December 1st, 1981... 
Ronald Reagan signs a top secret document called the National Security Decision Directive. So basically, this document said that the CIA was given $19 million, like a budget, to support the Contras, who were fighting to take over Nicaragua's socialist government. And this money was used for recruitment, training, and, like, giving them weapons. So he signed it, didn't tell anyone about it. November 1982, truth came out, and the Democrats were pissed. They were like, um, excuse me, like, Reagan technically didn't have to, like, didn't need their signatures or didn't approval. Didn't need to be a he, dick. He did need to inform them about it. So, like, him not telling them about it was going against rules and laws or whatever. So, they were mad, and he was like, oops. So, December 1982... Congress passed the first of three bills known as the Boland Amendment. I think that's what they're called. So the first bill called for the U.S. to stop funding the Contras, basically, or provoking war with Nicaragua. Um, Reagan signed it, but he's like, LOL, I found a loophole. (laughs) He said, he's like, it says I can't send money for military purposes, but it doesn't say anything about not military purposes. Oh, shoot. So he, um, 1983. I'm going to send them love and support. And $100 Yes. Because that's that's what he did in 1983. So 1984, Congress learns that the CIA was using money, that $100 million, to place mines on the Nicaraguan coast and just blow up ships that... They're like, here's a hundred million dollars, but it has to be used for good. Wink, wink. (laughs) Non-military purposes. And they're like, blow up ships? Okay, not military. Yeah, that's not military. And they're like, um, Like, we were just having it, we were just playing games. (laughs) So Congress was pissed again. So in October of 1984, they tried to pass the second Boland Amendment, which means set, basically was like, you need to stop, like, no funds from an intelligence agency can be used for military or non-military purposes to support, like, attacking Nicaragua. But they say, nay, nay, no we found another though. loophole. <laughs> you never said anything about National Security Council. So that's kind of where they went. <laughs> so now we're going to kind of fly over to Iran. So, um... Early 80s, Iran was under control of, I'm going to butcher this name, Ayatollah Khamenei, who completely severed ties with the U.S., said, I don't, you guys suck. Don't talk to me ever again. So 1983, U.S. launched a massive diplomatic effort, and basically U.S. convinced all international governments not to give any military weapons to Iran. And because everyone's scared of us for some reason, they listened, and they were like, okay, no. So, 1985... He's scared of us, too. We're the only freaking ones to drop atomic bombs on another country. So, 1985, uh, Iran took seven Americans hostage in Lebanon, which is kind of... That's a little extreme, but whatever. That's a little dicked up, too. So, Iran was like, we'll let them go. Just freaking give us weapons. So, in July, the National Security Advisor proposed a plan to Reagan. He's like, let's sell 100 anti-tank missiles to Iran and will use Israel as a middleman so that, like, no one knows about it. 
So Oliver North, who was a member of the National Security Council, he was like, I got a better plan. We're going to sell 2 million weapons to Iran through Israel for $14 million, which is like hella expensive. That's not how much they cost. They marked it up way a lot. And he's like, and we'll use our profits and we'll just give it to the Contras. And they're like, yes, let's do that. (laughs) Why do they like uh, well, okay, so I was going to ask this, but then I feel like I answered my own question. Wow, I was moving around that whole time talking. So I was going to say, why do they like the Contras so much? But isn't it because the dictator that set up, what was it, Nicaragua? Wasn't he... The Sandinistas uh, are the communist, or... Yeah, so they're very communist and very yeah. favorable to the Soviets. And so the U.S. was very supportive of the Contras because they were, they were going democratic. Yeah, and they wanted democracy. They were trying to eradicate it. Yes. So they wanted them to do that. But it was like super shady. So they're like, let's use the money we make from selling guns to Iran to support the Contras. And so February 1986, they sent all these missiles to Iran. Um, The profits were funneled through a fake company called the Stanford Technology Trading Group International. They even used secret airlines to get the weapons to the contras and these I'll airlines talk about them. these airlines were used by famous drug traffickers like owned and used by them one of them a huge cocaine dealer i will talk okay so okay the contras were into like some shady business were very crucial in drug trafficking And, like, a lot of the money that they got to purchase more weapons was from drug trafficking. But Oliver North kind of just turned a blind eye because he's, like, the information they're supplying us and, like, the things they are doing are way more important to, like, compromise that. So, October 5th, 1986, a CIA agent was captured by the Sandinistas and kind of this is where shit hits the fan and the secret was out. Um, Weeks later, Lebanese newspapers exposed the dealings with Iran. So basically, U.S. is getting exposed. They're like, look at all this shady crap they're doing. November 13th, Reagan's like, listen, I did not let any of this happen. (laughs) And they're like, bullshit. Okay. And they blame it on, quote, old timers. But like, no. So... November 21st, 1986, Oliver North called in his secretary for a shredding party to destroy evidence. I love shredding parties. (laughs) We love shredding parties. What was the other one we did? Oh, MKUltra. Yeah, but listen, Oliver North is not very good at it. Where was I? Shredding party. So, yeah, they had a shredding party, but they were idiots. And the one document that they probably should have shredded, they didn't. And it linked the Iran deal to, like, the Contra deal. So it wrecked them. So 1986 from 1989, a bunch of investigations were held to kind of investigate this whole ordeal. Um, These are my three, like, end things. So drug dealers slash traffickers were working with the Contras and the Sandinistas. Kind of working both teams. Noriega, who was an ally to the CIA, 
um, basically used Panama as a shipping platform for South American cocaine to go to the U.S. So he was like a huge player in the drug drug trafficking game with crack and cocaine, Um, but also was an ally for the CIA. Um, And I lastly put basically... U.S. was using the trafficking of cocaine in order to fund the efforts of Contra. And that's all I have. Yay! Let me get into the real shit. (laughs) Yeah. I just think it was interesting. Like, I was not expecting to get into stuff like that because I was like, oh, I'm just going to learn about cocaine and be done. But, like, I did not expect to go into all of that. To that history. For sure. For sure. But it was fun. Okay. So, let's get into the conspiracy. So, I'm going to paint for you at first this picture. Um, so, I got... I'll, where do you get most of your information? I forgot to ask. So, because I'm missing... Conspiracy theory. The podcast. The podcast. So, I got a lot of mine from there, too. And then I also got mine from Wikipedia. Conspiracy theory starts out with kind of this opening story. And it talks about a... Well, they cover pretty much all of these original conspiracy theories come from a man named Gary Webb. And he originally posts or writes a book named Dark Alliance, the CIA, the Contras, and the crack cocaine explosion. That's the name of his book. So they also start out with, in 1984, a man named Robert Tosh Plumley. He gets um, into an airport in Phoenix, Arizona, and he walks into a cafe where there's a bunch of officers, like state and federal police officers and they're waiting there to question him about his work um, with a company named setco and setco um, is the one of the airlines that was contracted by the cia to fly weapons um, to the contras in support of their rebellion so he, they kind of accuse him of smuggling drugs into the u.s and he's like whoa 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 like i my boss is a cia handler like yes like i fly military weapons to different parts of south america and then i fly drugs back but it's all part of a cia um, interdiction program like they want to bring these in and the officers are like um they're all like this is bs especially a da daa agent kiki camarena he pretty much calls bs on this and is like this operation if this was real it would need approval by the dea and then he accused Plumley, the ca pilot that he and his bosses at setco were um bringing in cocaine by themselves and pretty much taking the profits from that um and that so and then camarina told Plumley that he was going to expose Plumley and setco and all those he worked with so that they would get in trouble and get arrested for this drug trafficking charge. So the CIA pilot, um, Plumlee, he tells the CIA handler, he was like, hey, like this happened. And they said that they were going to really do this, like get, get us in trouble and all this different stuff. And his handler tells him, don't worry about Camarena. He can't do anything. Like he won't be able to do anything. And then five months later, this... DEA agent Kiki Camarena was murdered in Mexico and Juan Mata Ballesteros, who was the owner of Setco, was arrested in connection to his kidnapping and murder. Oh no. So that kind of sets the scene of like 
that's kind of like an overall happening. <laughs> so we're going to begin with this murder of Kiki Camarena. And this was kind of happened to kind of take away oh, attention from the whole Iran-Contra affair. So there's a man who his name is Hector uh, Boreas, and he's also a DEA agent. And he meets up with Webb, the guy who wrote the book um, about all the conspiracy theories and these problems that he saw in the CIA. And he was assigned um, to look into this, the murder of the DEA agent in a project called, it was called Operation Leenda. <clears throat> and Operation what? Leenda. Okay. Don't ask me how it's spelled. I spell everything phonetically. So, uh, Miguel Feliques, he was also a leader of a Mexican drug cartel, and he grew his empire using cocaine. So, by the uh, mid-1970s, Feliques and the Guadalajara cartel began smuggling cocaine across the U.S. border as a middleman for the Colombia cartels. So, you kind of talked about this, how they began... They were kind of like a middleman between Colombia, where a lot of the cocaine was coming from, and they were mm-hmm. kind of they grew their cartel by helping ship it into the United States. And the people that kind of introduced the two countries together, like brought them together, was this Juan Ballesteros, the owner of Setco Airlines. Okay. So mid, um, so in the nineteen eighties, um, about ten years later, Guadalajara drug cartel has grown at like pretty much exponentially and now controls most of Mexico's drug turf. They had a 2,500-acre marijuana field. Uh, they were moving about four tons of cocaine into the U.S. every month. Oh and they had paid off most of the Mexican police, so they had them all in their pocket. Like <gasps> Pretty much this drug cartel was running Mexico. So in comes Kiki Camarena, and he's one of the only men that is really willing to stand up against the cartel. Like, the cartel is kind of getting away with everything because no one in Mexico is going to deal with them. And, like, they're like, oh, the U.S. isn't really going to care. So except for Camarena, he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna bring these people down. Like, they're shipping. He works for the DEA, which, again, for anyone that doesn't know, the DEA stands for the Drug Enforcement Agency. So they're in charge of the um keeping drugs out of the country worked for them you have who i had a sunday school teacher that worked for the dea and every time every sunday we would make him tell us about drugs but he never would (laughs) we'd be like like, how we don't care about jesus we want to hear about drugs (laughs) yeah we would always be like how what is the like most amount of cocaine you've seen in one room (laughs) and he's like let's talk about jesus and we're like is marijuana fun? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, please get me out he of here. He literally hated us, but he, we loved him. So Kiki Camarena, ultimately he helped the U.S. and Mexico locate the Guadalajara's marijuana farm. And he led a raid but uniting the two countries on this field and set everything on fire, burning oh about gosh. $8 million. Yeah, they set everything on fire. So everyone and just got it, hella high. Everyone in the you area, set yeah. set marijuana on fire? Hello? Yeah, well, they were just trying to burn everything so that they couldn't do anything with it. So they burned about $8 million in mm. marijuana plants. That's so, so rude. <laughs> I mean, 
Okay. So it the cartel is. was absolutely pissed. And yeah, Kiki Camarena. killed them too. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Kiki Camarena was um, kind of in charge of this. And he was kidnapped in broad daylight outside the U.S. consulate in Mexico. He then was tortured for about 30 hours, which was all recorded. And he was questioned on the information that he, he, I know, that he had um, on the Mexican uh, drug cartel. And ultimately, he was interrogated and he was killed and his body was dumped outside the city. And Camarena kind of became like this martyr for like the war on drugs in the United States. And, like, people, high schools started, like, programs with his name about fighting drugs and all around the country. And Ronald Reagan and his wife were, like, praising him and, like, creating all these things. um, Saying that he was a fallen hero. uh, But Reagan's own administration was actually possibly supporting the very people responsible for his death. That's so so rude. So, yeah, it's very much like, we, this guy did so good. But you were like, but you might be kind of responsible. So that's when, after his death, was when Operation Leander came in, and uh, DEA agent Boreas uh, was assigned Boreas. to take over the opera. Boreas, whatever. No, no, I was making fun of you. I was into this. Oh, right. because of how I said it. Yeah. Um. He. So this agent, he was known to have done excellent work undercover in Mexico, and he had contacts all over the place. And ten of his contacts were eyewitnesses to Camarena's murder. So he brought all of those contacts to the U.S. And then over the next uh, decade or so that they were investigating this, over 23 of his other informants were eventually murdered throughout the investigation. Um, and one of these informants, was his name was Guillermo Gonzalez Calderoni. He was a deputy director of the DFS in Mexico. He warned um, Boreas he said, quote, the whole case stinks, and if you don't step away, you'll stink too. Your own government killed Camarena. Oh. Burn, 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 and that guy was later killed. Oh. So there's all this stuff going on. So Ballesteros, the owner of the Setco Aviation, he was expanding operations all over Central and South America. He was flying to and from most of the places, bringing weapons for the Contras and supplies. Um, and then he was even awarded like state contracts as airlines for these places. Um, but every time he'd fly back to the U.S., he'd bring in a shit ton of drugs. <laughs> it was just like drugs. Yeah. So it was interesting. And then they talk about, oh, and then individuals come forward and they say that they heard cartel leaders in these areas. So they were informants for the CIA. They say our leaders were talking about how they were sending money to the Contras um, just like the U.S. wanted to do and then one of their leaders actually specifically told one of these informants don't worry about U.S. officials because we have like an underlying agreement with them like they're not going to bother you and they're like okay so someone has to know something so um, and then other people came forward that um, they were working for the CIA and they they were flying airplanes and they would deliver um supplies and stuff but then they would always they'd sometimes stop at these like fields of drugs and pick up things and bring them back to the united states so the dea's investigation eventually found three tapes of camarena's 30-hour interrogations um and guess who was had those in their possession the u.s yeah the cia (laughs) but the cia did not initially give them up um and 
along with those three um, tapes, they were also given a partial transcript to another fourth tape that was nowhere to be found. And they just didn't know where that tape was. And I'm like, okay, that's sketchy. Um, And so on... Seriously, where else have we talked about missing tapes? Uh, The moon landing. (laughs) So it's all happened before. Let's just say that. So the CIA CIA asset, Lawrence Harrison, was another one of the individuals came and he said that he was present in the interrogation of um, Kiki Camarena. And he said that... um, CIA agent Felix Rodriguez, who was an operations officer and worked with the Reagan administration, was the one leading the interrogations um, in this. And there were other people that placed Felix Rodriguez at the scene, um, but there was no like proof of it. He was, his voice wasn't on tape. They couldn't like pin anything on him, and Felix Rodriguez denies any involvement, so they haven't been able to do anything with him. Um, but in the transcript that they received, there were it was the interrogator that asked specific questions about specific names of officials that Camarena was investigating. And then when they kind of figured out that Camarena didn't really know anything and that he didn't have any names, he hadn't figured out this like massive conspiracy. That's when um, the interrogator leaves and Camarena is killed. So like they kind of knew that they were safe. Oh, they killed him and dumped his body. Um, because of all this, Ballesteros was one of the leaders of the cartels who was known to be involved in the murder of Camarinas, and so he was uh, tracked down and was arrested for his murder. And then after all this happened, after Hector uh, Boreas like came to Webb and kind of told him everything that he had written about in his book had happened and all this information, he was removed from the Operation Leenda. Um. And so overall, we know, oh, and then the Conspiracy Theories podcast over this kind of conspiracy gave kind of a good overall of it. So from all this information, we know that several CIA contractors, partners, assets, liaisons, and other partner agencies were all involved in Camarena's death. Um, and then several of the, CIA, of the CIA liaisons, such as Ballesteros, were convicted of his murder. And then Plumlee, the guy whose story I told at the very beginning, he was a CIA pilot, and he helped unintentionally helped one of the culprits, I believe it was Ballesteros, escape the U.S., um, escape the country at first. They ended up finding him. Um, And then it was the CIA asset, Lawrence Harrison, that convinced that he saw the murder of um, Camarena's murder take place. So you have all these people that are all associated with the CIA being like, this is happening, this was going on, and I saw it take place. And so one of the things that they kept saying on the Conspiracy Theory podcast was either this was happening and the CIA sucks at their job at gathering intelligence, or the CIA knew this was happening and let it happen. And just, those are like the only two. So you're like, how much trust do you put in your... CIA agency that it's literally if this was Central really intelligence agency and they can't exactly and it's like job not exactly likely. it's like if their thing is to be known as like the intelligence agency and know about everything that's going on in the country but they have all these people that are tied to the CIA under smuggling and drugs and killing people but they have no idea of it then that they suck their job and like they need to step <laughs> up their game or they're complicit in a murder and in 
this crack epi- epi- epidemic that comes to the U.S. Anyway, wow. So that's the first conspiracy. Oh, I dang. have two more. <laughs> um, the next one, and they're all connected. So we're and the okay. other ones. I don't think are as long. So the next one is that pretty much the CIA encouraged the Contra leaders to smuggle in the drugs um, in order to boost funds for the rebel Contras. Yeah. And so we kind of talked about that already. And so ultimately the White House ha- admitted that the Contra rebels were had indeed, like this was later, smuggled cocaine into the U.S. and then used the profits from smuggling to fund their rebel e- efforts in Nicaragua. But they said that they didn't know that this was happening. They said that they didn't the government the u.s government didn't know what was happening and neither did the contra leadership they like like this happened and like we'll admit that it happened but we didn't know it was happening and they're like bullshit like we don't that doesn't make any sense so reagan at this whole time that this was all happening had already lost a lot of trust in the people because um he hadn't been reporting his affairs in central america and everything that he'd been doing so they're like you're already been shady you've already been shady like you're not doing things the way you should so um, they pretty much said that the U.S. encouraged the smuggling in an effort to beat out communism. Like they were like, "We'll give as much money we need to the Contras because we hate the Soviets." We hate um, communism. So you talked about Rick Ross, who was an L.A. <laughs> supplier uh, of cocaine, and he actually gave said a lot of his success came from a guy named Blandone. And he uh, worked with another uh, drug king, and his name was Manessis. And they were so Blandone was based in LA, and Manessis was based out of the Bay Area. And they agreed, they're like, we're going to start selling cocaine and send our profits back to like Honduras and the Contra um, people here and help the rebel forces. And so they're like, we're going to do that. So they flew to Honduras to meet with drug suppliers, and there they met a guy named Enrique. Bermudez. Iglesias? Oh, maybe that's one of his names too. Oh, nope. no. <laughs> Iglesias. I'm so dumb. I cl- it clicked it as soon as I. Oh, my favorite wow. drug dealer, Enrique I, Iglesias. I love Enrique Iglesias and all baby, of his cocaine. I like it. The way you move on the floor. <laughs> uh, so, Enrique Bermudez was a liaison officer and he was. Uh, very well attached to the Reagan administration in the U.S. So Blinn and Manessas, two drug dealers, meet up with this guy who has attachments to Reagan. And they were talking about helping the Contras win, and they ultimately were said to have said, like, the ends justify the means. They're like, doesn't matter what we do, we hate communism. Do they? Do you believe that? Do they hate communism? No, I think they no. just want it. <laughs> do the ends justify the means? Uh, No. I don't think so. Do you? In general or in this situation? It, well, in general. I was answering in general. In general, depends. So anyway, Blandone and Manessas, they pretty much like blow up. They start selling cocaine all over the place. Blandone ends up working with Rick Ross. And it is estimated that Blandone was selling Ross 100 kilos of cocaine a month. That's and a then lot. Blandone was... Like, in the end, was known to sell about 100 kilos a week to about 400 different distributors. That's so much. Oh, so then this is when I looked up how much cocaine was. I don't know what the dates were on this, but it was some guys pretty much saying, like, 
I've bought cocaine and this is what I've seen around the country. But so he said a kilo of crack he has found or cocaine he has found anywhere between sixteen and thirty six thousand dollars. A pound around eighteen thousand dollars. Two ounces around two grand, an ounce around one to two grand, a gram around a hundred to a couple hundred dollars, and then a half gram a half gram like fifty to a hundred dollars. Finland it's Finland, it's the most expensive. Wow. So that's just kind of what I found. So this guy was doing 100 kilos a week to four different distributors. So that's literally like $36 million. Yeah, I'm saying, why don't I sell drugs? A week. And like, obviously, he was one of the big bosses. What if that was a major drug dealing? That'd be so cool. What did you meet, Um, Um, Drugs. I had a TA at school (laughs) that she worked at like one of the like the DA somewhere but like her job was literally um like you go in and you do chemical reactions on different substances to see if they're drugs that's so fun and I'm like that would be a cool job okay so we were talking about the drug ring there and how much they were selling uh so this again brought up the whole fact that like the CIA would have had to either know this was happening or they sucked at their job um and then there was a DEA agent in 1981. Her name was Sandra Smith. She found evidence of Manessas in his drug ring, and they br- she brought it up to his boss and said, hey, like, I think that we need to put, like, a whole team on this and, like, bring him down. And the boss was like, yeah, like, I think that's a good idea. But um, eventually it got shut down by higher-ups for unclear reasons. Um, so people say that it was because they were afraid of – that her finding out how involved it was with the contrast, but she also thinks it was due to sexism just because she was like one of the first female DEA agents. And when she brought it up to her boss, none of the men in the office wanted to take on Manessas. So he just kind of shut it down and was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then another shady thing is that in 1986, LA sheriffs raided 13 safe houses of Blandones, but in all 13, they found no drugs in any of them. And they're like, what the hmm. freak? Like, how in 13 of these are there none? So people think he that... Yeah, he thinks that someone from the CIA, CIA tipped him off. But then Blandone, when he, he was actually later arrested, and he was like, oh, that didn't happen. I just had a few of my guys were picked up by the FBI a few weeks earlier, and I decided to move everything just to be safe. But I'm like, from 13 different safe houses and not a single ounce of anything was found. Like, Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like that's super shady. Um, and so then Blandone ended up becoming an informant for the feds and Rick Ross and the drug kings. So pretty much that was one of those things where it was like, that was kind of one of the conspiracies where it's like, we know that drug money went to help the Contras, but like the CIA had to have known it was going on. Like, yeah, there was no way for them not to. So then they, that means that they were complicit in this crack epidemic coming to the United States and the murder of Kiki Camarena. So... Okay, and the last one, you kind of talked a bit about this, but this is when I just said we were going to do the crack epidemic. This is what I thought it was. Like, this is all I thought it was. And it's the whole fact that people believe that Reagan and Mint, like, started the crack epidemic to become a war uh, to destroy black communities Ooh. because he's a racist asshole. Yikes. Um, so, cause we, you kind of talked about this, but I'll go over it just really quickly again. So the seventies powder cocaine was super expensive. It was only used by the elite. 
but like you said there was so much that people tried to like how can we produce how can we sell it cheaper and all that stuff so they mixed it with baking soda and water and it became cheaper and they could sell it to the masses um and like you mentioned it but the urban working class black communities were hit the hardest Mm -hmm. so here's some statistics so they said statistics from the 80s can get a bit murky because people suck but ultimately the 80s showed that from it was like this was from the conspiracy theories podcast again and it was a reputable source that said about 55 percent of crack users were white and 37 percent were black so in 1998 the justice department said that 74 percent of people sentenced to jail time for drug possession were black oh shoot so we have 55 percent of crack users are black but 74 percent of those sentenced to jail time were or 55 percent of crack users were white but 74% of those sent to jail for being in possession were black. And I thought about it and I was like, that doesn't even include. So in that other 20%, they probably included like Latino and other races in there. And so white probably was like, yeah, it was probably like 20% white. I'm like, that's shitty that over half of the users were white, but like 20% of those sent to jail were white. So So anyway, super dumb. Federal crime data shows that has shown that in the past African-American men are five times more likely to be arrested for drug possession than white men. So this is like full-on racism. Racism. But they were like, is it, is it like institutional racism brought on by like police officers? Or was this the goal of the administration and the crack epidemic the whole time? So we have uh, Richard Nixon. He was two presidents. He was like eight years before Reagan. And he's the one that declared a war on drugs. And people think that this was, like, the basis on which it, everything was based. He's the one that criminalized marijuana usage uh, because this was during, like, the whole hippie movement and all of this. And he instituted mandatory sentencing laws. So, like, if you have this much, you have to serve this much time kind of thing. Like, that whole yeah. five grams, five years. Or 500, 500 grams, five grams. Oh, we'll get to that. That's so annoying. So, um... And then he, Nixon was the one, he set aside $75 million and he created the DEA. And so John Ehrlichman, he was one of Nixon's domestic policy chiefs. He openly admitted that the war wasn't on drugs, but quote, the anti-war left and black people. Oh, that's so, so he straight sad. out came out and said, we're pretty much targeting the hippies and black people. So in 1994, he was having an interview. This was like obviously what this is like a whole decade or two later he's having an interview with a journalist named dan Baum, and he says quote we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or black but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily we could arrest their leaders raid their homes break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news who so literally at this time you have what this is John Ehrlichman, one of Nixon's domestic, his domestic oh policy chief. Oh my gosh. So they're literally at this time that we have like the anti-war movement, all the hippies and um, the like segregation movement and everything like Martin Luther King yeah. and all that. They're literally like, no, we don't want this in our country. So they criminalize. They literally, they're like pretty much saying that they started these drugs, got everyone hooked on these drugs. 
and then they're like vilifying the drugs and those associated with the drugs so that they can again break up their meetings so like the like uh black power and stuff and um and all the hippies and arrest their leaders and all that just (gasps) and i'm like so that's like blatant just like shittiness Well, even and like then, remember with MK Ultra, they like had they bought all the LSD, and then kind of just had it. So like they contributed to anti-war movement, and then like shut it down. Like yeah. were mad about it at the same. That's, I just yeah, and so it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And then so that was Nixon, and then when Reagan came in, he focused. He kind of shifted from like heroin to like cocaine. Okay. So Reagan focused on the cocaine. So in 1986, he knew um, he created new sentencing laws that made the penalties for crack cocaine about 100 times worse than those of powder cocaine. And then so powder cocaine was known for the elite, right? And crack was known for like the typical workman. So those that have powder cocaine are going to be your rich people, your wealthy white males Uh. in the 1980s. So they're like, and then the who are going to be the people with crack? Your like your working class, and then especially like the poor classes of African Americans, and that's when the five grams of crack is the same mandatory sentence of five years as someone with five hundred grams of powder cocaine. Like that's complete shit. Like yeah, that I hate the justice system. Right, like that's so dumb, especially because like. We've obviously don't agree on what's the purest form, but I'm like, if what I think is like cocaine's purer than crack, then I'm like, you're literally giving more time to someone who has less crack, less of a high, quicker of a high than someone. And I'm like, it's so dumb. I just also think five years is a long time for having cocaine. Right? Like, yeah, five years. Like, cocaine's bad. We can agree. Cocaine is bad, both forms, not good to do drugs. Yeah, it and it's very life. addictive, and we should But, shouldn't. like, but that's five a years long is so time. Long. There's people freaking, that, like, rape people and don't even go to jail. Oh, that's, that's a subject <laughs> for another day that makes me so angry. Oh, uh, yeah, let's not even get into that before. So, and that's the thing is, so the reason, like, I learned about this was I remember sitting in, like, my junior year of high school, sitting in AP US History, and we were talking about this, like, and we used to glaze over it, but I just remember my teacher was like, so, like, imagine you're some African-American teenager, you're out, like, obviously, like, segregation was still kind of a thing, and, like, white people didn't associate with black people as much, but it's still, like, at this time, like, if a white teenager gets... Uh, arrested with drug possession like even if he has like crack cocaine in the like state of like in the courtroom they would call it cocaine they would call it powder cocaine so that he (gasps) would get less of a you know what i mean i'm like i'm sure and that i didn't look in to find out but i'm like that makes so much sense like if some white boy gets stuck with crack they're gonna call it cocaine in the courts so it looks better and there he's gonna get less time but if some african-american teenager gets arrested they're gonna call it crack and he's gonna get a worse sentence that's so messed up it's so dumb so then statistics come out that about 80 percent of those sentenced with those new sentencing sentencing laws were african-american men although 50 percent of the crack users were white what literally (sighs) sucks that does not compute beep boop i know it's so dumb (laughs) 
And then this was going on. So like all these African-American and poor working class people were being thrown into prison and uh, criminalized. But most of the international traffickers like Blandone and Manessas and Rick Ross were getting off scot-free. And there were people literally on the government's payroll that were selling drugs and not being caught. So like there's just all this crap. And so all these conspiracies kind of go hand in hand showing that like it's kind of like a two birds, three birds with one stone. Like here we can start we can do this anti-war anti-black movements on the united states we get to help out the contras and um crush out communism in uh south america and then you kind of like get to what was the third one just kind of the whole oh the cia kind of gets like this hold on south america and like they know what's going on and they can like manipulate people and so it's really dumb and that's kind of all i got it but um oh it talked about how with this uh you know how they were attacking black communities that the left-leaning black voters were very much against reagan in both of his elections and so it kind of showed that that's one of the possible motives for him kind of continuing that attack on the black communities is that they did not like reagan they leaned more Mm. left so I want to yeah. go back in time to my fourth grade year old self and just be like, be maybe like, Reagan don't sucks be ass. Reagan for the wax museum to be like Helen Keller or something. Yeah. Because I can't be even like Helen like, Keller fight and talk it. through hips. The thing with this one though, like, yeah, there's conspiracy. Like the conspiracy part is like that we. The biggest conspiracy out of all of this was that last one you said about him doing it on purpose to, like, anti-war, anti-blacks. Yeah. But, like, the uh, most of it's, like, true. Like... Oh, yeah. The whole Iran-Contra affair, like, that's real. And, like, it's just messed up. Well, it's literally... And, like, okay, people, It's one of those things where it's, like, we yeah. know that... Drugs were brought into the U.S. and that profits were sent to, sent to the Contras. But it's like, it's just more how much did our government know and how much did it allow? True. So. I, I'm supposed to argue, but like, I really can't. Because well, if I argue against you, so then I'm like, the CIA sucks. But I'm like, they do suck, but not. In- <laughs> like, they know a lot. They know everything. Yeah, because yeah. there's no way they didn't know. Yeah, so it's this has been fun. This is our first episode um, recording from quarantine. Remote, remote, remote not in the same area. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, this works out. <laughs> I hope so. If you are bored in quarantine and are just like looking up so many conspiracy theories and want us to cover it, please contact us. But yeah, thanks for listening. If you want to contact us, you can DM us on our Instagram at snacks and tinfoil hats. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, which is CSTFHP. Um, our Gmail is CSTFHpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page now, which is just conspiracy snacks and tinfoil hats, correct? Yes. Yes. Correct. So give us a like on there. Like and leave a review on iTunes. 
listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, all the things. Um, but yeah, just know uh, if we go missing. Blame the Reagan administration. Blame, blame the Reagan. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. I get out of breath because I don't want to sound stupid. <laughs> so, of breath, you have corona. I have corona. Oh my gosh. Okay.